What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Today's guest is Melissa West, who has a pretty crazy story, everything from being in and escaping a cult, dealing with a severe physical illness, being a mother throughout all of that journey, and even using that journey to help coach others to find their own voice. Her story is one of tragedy, but also acceptance. I think that's a very common theme in pretty much most of my chats, if not all of them. Melissa helps to coach other people, and I think that's always such a really great thing to see, is when somebody takes what has happened to them and help others and try to lift people up, because I think as a society, it's very important to lift each other up, just because, I mean, we're not solo creatures. We don't just walk off on our own. We are very social animals. You can check out Melissa on Instagram at Melissa Lion West. Also, she has her own website, MelissaLionWest.com, and you can check out her grown-ass woman workshop if you'd like to work with her. It was great to have Melissa on. Even though she does have this very crazy story, you wouldn't really, you wouldn't really be able to tell just because of the way that she presents it. But it is an incredible story and it's so awesome that she is able to articulate it as well as she is so without further ado guys let's get straight into the video What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the Mental Health Chats. I am Mental Health Casual or Lucky, whatever one you prefer. And today I have a very special guest. I have had a lot of women on my Mental Health Chats over, over well, over the year that I've been doing this. And, uh, you know, I, I've always been so inspired from them from being raised by a single mother, you know, her having to uh, raise three of us on our own. Um, I've always been fascinating, uh, fascinated with these types of stories about how women can overcome things, especially in a society that, uh, that doesn't always lift them up. Um, and so today's uh, special guest is an um, international uh, confidence and self-worth coach. And uh, that is a mouthful right there. But uh, I, I absolutely uh, appreciate you being on, Melissa. Do you think you could kind of talk <laughs> about... Uh, you think you could kind of talk us through, um, you know, maybe the beginnings of your mental health journey? Um, I know you have a very significant story, but c could you kind of talk about maybe your first um, your first uh, encounters with it? Like, were you ever like younger and you had to deal with like a, uh, a relative that was that had to deal with mental health or anything like that? Have you ever had any early exposure like that? Um, I not that I know of. I I um, I lived a pretty sheltered life. Um, so I, I didn't really have exposure to a lot of people. Um, for me, I started having issues when I was an older teenager. I started having panic attacks. Um, and that, that was due to, well, a whole, a whole, <laughs> whole slew of uh, reasons. But, it, you know, it was the, I couldn't breathe. I, my, my whole body started to shut down. I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't have the community to reach out. I didn't really have anybody to help me. Um, so I just kind of suffered by myself, suffered alone. And that lasted for a good 10 years before I started to reach out for help. Yeah, that's always, that's always rough when you, you kind of feel, um, you kind of feel all alone. And it, it's also supplemented by not being able to really be, um, to speak out as well, right? So it's almost like you're alone, but you're also alone with yourself. So it's a, it's a really kind of, it's a really tough journey. And uh, 
you know, I, I just wanted to, you know, could you elaborate a little bit more on panic attacks for people that maybe have not gone through that? Like, how, how severe are those? Um, obviously, I've had uh, my fair share, but could you kind of explain to, to my audience how severe they were for you? Yeah, for me, it would start when, um, I, you know, my anxiety would really start to, to rise and I would not be able to breathe. So my brain would say, okay, we're dying. And it would start to shut down the body parts that it didn't need. And it would just, you know, take care of my vital organs. And so what that looked like for me was I wasn't getting oxygen to my hands and feet and my hands would like curl up and I couldn't move them. Like I, I couldn't open them or anything. Um, and they could last anywhere from 20 minutes to a couple of hours sometimes. Um, and when I was in it, I honestly thought, you know, I'm dying. Like, this is it. This is the end. And then once I got married, my husband did, he, he learned how to help me and he would count for me and he would, he would count one, two, three, four, four, three, two, one. And that's how I would just, I would just like hold on to his voice and I would just breathe in for out for, and, and that would help me. But if it happened when I was alone, it could be, um, it could be pretty, pretty scary for sure. Yeah. And, you know, usually I, I kind of ask people like a very broad question, like, what's your mental health journey like? But you have such you have a lot of layers to it that it's it's hard to kind of go into the entirety without kind of um, explaining some some context of your background. I, I, I think the, the more uh, the real question I kind of wanted to ask was before we kind of go any further is, you know, you had mentioned on your on your website a little bit about, you know, being in a cult for. I mean, I think it's a 30 years or something like that. 30 um, years. Yeah. yeah. Could, you, could you kind of explain, well, A, how you, you know, fell into that and B, you know, the, the process and how you kind of uh, were able to finally break free from that? Yeah. So I was born into it. Um, my parents were in charge of the church that I was in. Um, and it looked like it was a sect of Christianity, um, but kind of as far right as you can go. Um, it was a fundamentalist group. And it looked like for me, uh, women had no voice. They had no power, no leadership. Um, you know, you just listened to your dad and then you were passed off to your husband and you listened to your husband and you just did what you were told. Um, so not, not a great place um, to be healthy, healthy mentally. And you weren't really allowed to have your own thoughts as a woman, even. Um, you were supposed to change and conform to what other people were telling you. Um, and, you know, in my experience, I was homeschooled, so I didn't have any outside support. Um, I wasn't able to watch TV or listen to the radio or read books outside of what was printed by our group. Um, I had no friends on the outside. So even though it was very extreme, very toxic, I thought it was normal. And so for me, I was just trying to fit in. I was trying, you know, I didn't ever, um, I didn't ever feel like I belonged. And so I was trying to force it. Um, you know, when I got married, I quit, I stayed home. I, you know, I was a teacher and I quit that and I stayed home to have kids and take care of the house, which was expected of women. Um, and within six years, I had four kids. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, just trying to, trying to do what I thought was right. Trying to do what another person had told me was what I was supposed to do. And 
when I had my fourth, I had, I had, um, about a year before that I had met a mom online in a like mom support group, which was kind of fringe. It wasn't really allowed. So it was kind of, I kind of kept it secret a little bit, but she, she was the reason that I'm out. She, for a year, she just stuck by me and I was weird. <laughs> I was weird and I was in this weird group and I had weird beliefs. Um, but she just challenged me and she just stayed, she just continued to be my friend. And when I looked at her, you know, she could speak her mind and she did what she wanted and she was living this life, but she was so kind and she wasn't judgmental. And, and I wanted that so badly. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to do that. You know, I had never even had a real friend at that point. Um, and she was, she's, she's the reason I'm out. Um, about, so I had, I had been friends with her for a year. And then when I had my son, I went through severe postpartum depression, um, along with regular depression, just being in this group, wanting to get out, not knowing how to get out. Um, you know, and, and it was everything it was my family. It was my friends. It was my community. It was my job. It was my husband's job. But through that, through that really dark period, um, after my fourth was born with the support of, of that friend, I started to get professional help, which in our group was, it was not, it, it kind of like, you should have been praying more. You should have like, you know, confessed some sin. It was probably your fault. Um, yeah. So I started to get some help. I started to go to therapy, which blew my mind. I mean, honestly, I had no idea um, you know, for me, therapy had always been something for like the really hopeless people, the people that were like, you know, turn their back on God kind of is how it was. So, um, yeah, and I started to speak up in my group and I started to ask questions, which was, it was really not okay. I mean, I had people come to my house and say, we think you're on a dangerous path. We don't want you to talk to our kids anymore. And this was just me saying like, hey, why can't I be in charge of my own body? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't even anything, you know, that the outside world would think was shocking. Um, and through that year, that, that year after my son was born, um, just getting help, getting, getting outside input um, really helped me. I call, I say like I grew my brave muscles and just like one step at a time, I, I just, learned to speak up. I learned to use my voice. I learned to figure out what I actually wanted. I learned that getting help was not shameful. And it was kind of like, um, you know, if you have all this pressure on something and you release the valve and at first it's just like, you know, it's so forceful. And that first year out, it was just like so much was coming out of me. I almost felt worse sometimes. Um, for that first year. And then it probably took about a year of, of getting help and speaking up and learning that, you know, I'm in control of my own self that we finally left. And um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I still, I still get help. I still, I went, I have had coaches and I've had, I've had therapy and that, 
honestly, I tell everybody, if you have any kind of relationship ever, if you've ever had a parent or a sibling or a friend, you need to be in therapy. It's for everyone. So yeah, you just uh, you just mentioned this this friend of yours, and you do you think the the importance of uh, of or the um, the impact of therapy on your life was that you were actually being listened to for the first time? Because when I when I had my pastor on here, he was telling me about you know when people come to him, sometimes just listening to them is is so much like it, it's it's so much more unexpected than what they ever would have gotten before. I mean, it was was that really the the thing for you? And also, you 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 kind of talked about getting your voice, but how how important was that having somebody actually listen to what you had to say and actually uh, validate it for you? Yeah, that was a huge part. It was a huge part. Um, it was a safe place where I could not only would somebody listen to me, but I could say whatever I wanted, and nobody was going to tell me I was wrong or tell me to be quiet or tell me to sit down. And, you know, and I was able in that space, I talked about stuff that, you know, when I went to therapy, I had been married for eight years, I think. And I told my therapist, I had been sexually abused when I was a child and I had never told my husband that. Like there was so much repression that I, yeah, I had, I I didn't talk about anything real ever to anybody. I had friends, but it was all surface. And so when I went to therapy and she just sat there and she just listened and then she would give me feedback or, um, or she would like confirm what I was saying. That was, it was huge. It was huge because we don't have people, even, even outside of like the cult world, people don't listen. Yeah. I mean, that must be, that must be really tough, right? Because I feel like sometimes women are pushed into this corner where they have to be more aggressive than they would have been if you if you know if people had just kind of listened to them and so um, I I mean I think that's why I really like your story because obviously you have a you have a family so you you have this this grounding to yourself how important was your family through these 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 moments of of you know hitting rock bottom of of going through all these um, these mental health issues and uh, you know how how important were they through throughout your journey so my kids are pretty or they're still pretty young um, so they were just kind of along for the ride. <laughs> during this whole time. Um, my sister and I left um, around the same time frame, And so having somebody who understood what I was going through, and we had, we had a lot of the same struggles um, leaving, you know, you're kind of, you're finding your voice, you're finding yourself, you're trying to decide where you're going to land, you're, you're deconstructing your faith and deciding what that looks like. Um, so it was, it, having somebody that understood that could like walk along with me, that was so important. And I, I mean, part of my like core foundation of my business is that we are not meant to do this alone. We're not. And when we try to, it's, it's so much harder. Um, so having her there was, was so huge along with this friend that helped me out. My husband, he, um, he was very supportive, even though he wasn't quite sure what was going on. Um, so yeah, having that, having that, my support system was very small, you know, it was basically three people, well, four counting my therapist, um, because everyone I had known at that point was still inside. Um, and around that time I did, I did, um, create a friendship with four other women that we would go away every six weeks for 24 hours. And it was the first time that I was kind of saying like, you know what, I'm worth taking some time off. I've been a full-time mom for 
a decade. And it was the first time I was like, wait, can I do this? Can I like, can I take time? Can I take up space for myself? Because, you know, in my, in my situation, especially, but in our whole culture, women are expected to give everything all the time. And so that was, that was really amazing to have that space to learn and grow that was safe. And I mean, that's one of the things I so encourage people is to find that safe space to heal. Yeah, that's really well said. I think, I mean, I think that also kind of gives people hope, right? Because sometimes people think, oh, it's too late for me to do these things. It's too late for me to do, you know, this or this or this. I mean, as long as you're alive, I don't think it's ever really too late to, to really do anything. I think you're a prime example of that. And I, I also wanted to talk about, um, you know, I think it was after your, your fourth child, you were diagnosed with Lyme disease as well. Um, you know, could you explain, you know, what having a physical illness is on top of like having a mental illness really did for you because I, you know, I'm generally a pretty, you know, healthy person. Like I don't really deal with a lot of aches and pains in terms of that. I can go to the, uh, you know, I can work out all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. but, um, I can't really imagine not being able to, uh, or, you know, being attacked by two different things at the same time. I mean, how was that for you? Yeah. So it was actually, um, it was right after I had my third child and it kind of happened in just a, a really strange time. So my husband and I wanted to leave because we had started to see these, this toxic tendency in our, in our group, but we didn't know how, like, how do you leave everything, you know, where do you go? What do you do? So we had seen somebody who had sold everything and moved into an RV and had traveled. So we were like, okay, we can do that because it's technically not leaving the group. It's just traveling. So we did, we sold everything we owned. We bought this like 15, I think it was 20 year old trailer, um, like a fifth wheel, redid the whole thing, moved our three kids in. And we, um, while we were still um, in Maryland where we lived before we left, that's when I was diagnosed. And it was, I like to say it was the beginning of the end. Um, this is right this, the same time I met that woman, I get Lyme disease and I had been told my whole life if you live right, and if you keep the rules, then God will bless you. And so then I get Lyme disease, which is, you know, it can be incurable. There's not a lot of research on it. There's not a lot of support in that area. And so that, honestly, I think that was, I, I, it was the darkest period of my life because it was a faith crisis, as well as a mental health crisis, as well as a physical crisis. And so it was like this trifecta. And I, I remember just feeling like I had lost all hope. And um, so about a month after that, I, we, we left and we ended up, we were going to travel along a lot, of, a lot of places, but we ended up on this farm in the middle of nowhere. I'm talking, we were 30 minutes outside of a town of like 300 people. And we, uh, my husband like would help on the farm and we, and I would just get up. I would take my kids outside and I would just sit there and watch them play. They had both old lake. And for the first time in my life, nobody was watching me. Nobody was expecting anything from me. And I felt like the, the a little bit of freedom. It, I was still in that religious group, but not as involved because you know, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. And we stayed there for, I think, six months. 
And having the space to heal was, was so important for me. And I mean, honestly, I, I'm, I'm just so grateful it worked out that way because I'm not sure what it would have looked like if I had still been struggling with all of that in my community that I was in. Um, yeah, but it really gave me, it really gave me the chance to take care of myself. Um, which, you know, it's not just my, my cult that I grew up in. I mean, the the culture that we're in, women are not afforded time and space to take care of themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a long answer. (laughs) No, I mean, no, that's a, that's a really good answer because I think, um, you know, even for, for my mom, you know, she worked two jobs as well as, you know, raising three kids. So it was really, uh, it was always really tough on her to uh, to kind of differentiate, um, you know, those two lives of, of being a professional, also being a mom. Um, so, you know, for the most part, I was kind of raised by my two siblings because we're, I mean, mm. my brother's 11 years older than me. My, my sister's six years older than me. So, um, but, you know, I think uh, I think that def- definitely does have a lot of uh, ring to it, especially, um, you know, now as we're seeing women kind of on the rise right now. But, um, you know, you, you I think, you know, I, I want to ask you this, you know, how do you differentiate running away and running towards something because sometimes i feel like people have um you know they they always feel like they're running away it's like oh man you know i can't run away from my problems even though they might need a break you know that that kind of thing how do you differentiate those two yeah i think at the time i would not say that i thought we were just going on an adventure you know i i had no intention of leaving our religion i had no intention i didn't know what i was doing really looking back i can say oh yeah, we were trying to escape. <laughs> um, at that point, I didn't know up from down. I didn't know if I was running away from something or running towards something. Um, now, I would say I differentiate it based on fear. Like, um, if you're afraid of something and you're trying to avoid it, I would say that's running away, right? Like, if you are, um, if you want something, but you're so afraid of what somebody will think or, or to deal with something and you're, and you're trying to avoid it and, and running away can look like scrolling on Instagram. You know, it doesn't have to be traveling around in an RV. <laughs> um, I think it's that avoidance, right? It's the, it's the avoiding of, of the pain, which, which I think is like, you know, if you get a cut on your leg and you just pull your pants down and keep going, like, oh, I'm just going to ignore it. It'll be fine. And then it, you know, it gets infected, it gets gangrene or something. So running towards something could actually be more painful, right? Like taking care of that wound, taking care of the things that are festering inside, even though in the long run, it's going to be so much healthier for you. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I think, you know, I, I like to oftentimes bring, you know, martial arts uh, into a lot of these equations because I've always, you know, I've always been a fan of martial arts and all that kind of stuff. And I was very much of a what we call like a counter striker. So I'd wait for people to come in and then attack them. But if you look at like the broad audience, they usually think of that as running away, like Floyd Mayweather or something like that. But, you know, a lot of times I'm just not good at, at fighting the way that other people are. So I had to figure out my own way of fighting. Right. And so I think sometimes you have to figure out your own way of dealing with things. And if it's, if it's, you know, if you're in a toxic environment, right, it's probably better to, to get out of that toxic environment, get some, yes. some space to figure out, you know, where, where you uh, want to go. And, you know, you're, I, 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 you know, it seems like your overall goal is to kind of um, help women, um, you know, kind of, you know, find, find their voice. I mean, what, what are some of the biggest hurdles that women have to face? I mean, in, in your experience as a coach and, and just your experience going, going everywhere like this, um, 
you know, what, what do you think are some of the biggest hurdles that women have to face? Yeah. So when I left part of my healing journey was being able to share my story uh, because I had been silent for so long. And so honestly, if you were in the grocery store line with me or at the library with your kids too long, you were going to hear my story. And what shocked me was that here I'm thinking, like, I'm telling this story that's like so wild. You know, people don't grow up in cults. That, that, that's not a thing that happens to normal people. And I would tell the story and I would be like, you know, I didn't have a voice. I didn't feel like I could do what I wanted. Somebody, I was living somebody else's plan for my life. And so often they would be like, oh yeah. Oh, I understand that. Oh, I feel that. And I started to realize that, yes, like my story is extreme, you know, that, that, but so many people are afraid of what other people think of them. And because of that, they are living the life that they think they're supposed to. And that causes so much, you know, it can cause, it can cause physical illness. It can cause mental, mental illness, depression, anxiety. When you're, when you're living not true to who you are. And so that, I feel like my, my story really opens a door to say like, oh, okay, I've been there. I've done that. And then I talk to women and and not just women, really. I, I mean, I, I have a, a, I, a, a drive to help women because of my experience, but men and women that, that I've worked with, it's the fear of what other people think. It's the fear of doing something and failing um, and what people are going to think of them. It's, it's a changing because this is what they think they're supposed to do. Um, yeah. And then the guilt that comes along with that especially, you know, especially like mom guilt, you know, if you do anything differently, there's always somebody there to tell you you're doing it wrong. Um, and, and when you, when you decide that you're going to do something on your own and then you have the guilt and there's so much information out there that you can find five people for something and 10 people against it. And then you're like, okay, I don't know. I'm just going to stay here where I am because it's too much to change. And yeah, that fear is, I think it's universal. Yeah, I think you you bring up a really good point is that uh you know a lot of a lot of times men and women have this have a very difficult time trying to express themselves and you know especially with um you know usually I go towards social media as like a as somewhat of a scapegoat in my case um but you know there there's just so many factors that that come in repressive households um you know just mm -hmm. things in general my my father was very uh very physically dominating over me so it, he gave me a lot of uh gave me a lot of problems in terms of trying to express myself. I was always doing things other people wanted to do. I was a people pleaser. Yeah. And then I eventually get, got so, uh, you know, you start to kind of bottle all this stuff inside until you blow up one day and people are like, wow, I didn't know you had that in you. you know? <laughs> it it, yes. it kind of it, it gets to that point. But, you know, how, um, how, how do you think that, uh, or in your opinion, like how, how do people build confidence in, in themselves? Do they, do they have to find themselves first or do they have to accept themselves first? Because I feel like to some degree, finding yourself and then accepting yourself would seem right. But sometimes I could see the, the argument for, you know, maybe accepting yourself for not knowing who you are and then, you know, accepting yourself afterwards too. Um, I mean, but what, what, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think in my experience and, and the experience I've had working with my clients, there has to be some kind of support. I feel like it's, it's so hard and maybe, I don't want to say impossible because I don't think anything's impossible. It's so hard to do it on your own. So whether that is a coach, a therapist, a really good friend who understands, 
I think that's kind of the first step is to find somebody who can support you. Um, and, and I think accepting probably comes first. For me, I had to accept what had happened to me. I had to, I had to take on the responsibility for the pain. So, um, you know, I was, I was sexually abused. I was physically abused. I was spiritually abused and other people had caused that, but it was now my pain. It was now my trauma. It was now my responsibility. And so, and so until I could take responsibility for that, I, I didn't have the power to heal it. And so I think that's, for me, that's what I think of when you, when you accept yourself as you accept what has happened and, and your story. And then within that support system, and once you've accepted what has happened and your story and yourself, then I think you can start to build on loving those pieces and loving those parts of yourself that maybe you were ashamed of or you felt guilty about or, um, you know, you just felt alone in. Yeah, I think that's such a great um, story. I had a, a guest on here, um, Nadine Macaluso, who was married to the original Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and uh, mm. she was actually the the character inspiration based off of Naomi from the movie. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I, she, she said a lot of the same stuff as you. You know, she had to accept, accept the responsibility of what she can do, right? Because a lot of times there are just things that are out of your control, right? You know, like, it, you know, it, I mean, is she going to be able to make this guy feel empathetic towards her? Well, probably not. You know, it's, it, it's tough to make that um, happen in that case. And, you know, I, I really like that, uh, that idea of, of really accepting the things that you can control. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I really just can't imagine how tough it must be to, to, to be, you know, physically abused like that. I mean, how, how is it to, to kind of recover from something like that? Because, you know, I, I, one thing that she talks about is CPTSD, complex PTSD, relational trauma, that kind of thing. And it's actually going to start to become a, um, it's actually going to be put into the DSM, uh, hmm. you know, in, in 2022, I believe is what it would, uh, the World Health Organization is going to put it in, but people are start, finally starting to realize that like, you know, relationships are, tra are traumatic, which seems like a no brainer, but I mean, how did you kind of get, navigate that even before, you know, people were th saying like, you know, that was actually a mental or a uh, mental illness or, you know, an actual thing? Well, I didn't think anything was wrong for the first 25 years. I thought everything that had happened was really normal or my fault. Um, so, so I don't know that I was navigating anything that I think I was just trying to survive at that point. Um, and then after that, it was really having, having that, that, I mean, I can't, I can't talk enough about having a support system. Um, you know, I went to therapy and then I, and then after that, I got a coach and between those two, it's given me the tools to deal with things because I don't think you get to a point where you're like, oh, I'm completely healed. I'm, you know, ready to take on everything. I think for me, it's, I now have the tools and the resources for when these things come up, you know, cause you can be just living your regular life and something triggers you and something, you know, makes you remember. And you have this visceral reaction, you have this body reaction. And now I can, I can, I know what it is. I can identify it. And then I have tools to release it from my body um, to get, you know, the support I need. I think that for me is, is what I, I would say it's like, it's a tools to, for that continued healing journey. Yeah, that's such a, such a great answer. And, you know, I, I kind of want to ask you, because, you know, one of the things that you had mentioned is, is uh, you know, when I was reading your story is, is this idea of being vulnerable. Now, 
I feel like a lot of times people see they they use vulnerability and weakness as synonymous in some cases. Mm -hmm. But it seems like in your case, it was literally the the start of you kind of regaining your own strength or gaining your own strength. Um, you know, could you kind of define what vulnerability means to you? Yeah, I mean, in a word, vulnerability is power. That's when I really started to regain power over my life is when I started to open up and share who I was, what I thought, my struggles, my pain. Um, I remember when I started to talk about having anxiety, which within our group was not, okay, you know, it was not something you talked about. And like I said, it was probably a sin problem or, you know, you needed to pray more, you needed to do something. And so when I started talking about that, I had people reach out to me um, and they would say, oh, I'm feeling the same way. Or when I started to talk about motherhood and how I was really struggling with it. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't know if I was, you know, a, a good mom or if I was, you know, if I even liked it or just all of these things. And people would be like, oh, can we say that? Like, is, can we, can we, and I, and I started to form relationships based on hearing other people say, me too. And, and I think shame keeps us quiet. And, you know, Brene Brown, she's a master of this work. She has changed my life. Um, and she talks about, you know, the more vulnerable we are, the more connections we build. And, and that's how we thrive as humans. We, th we thrive on connection. But shame tries to say, be quiet. Nobody else has that issue. And they will ostracize you if you talk. And so you have to go against that, that shame. And, and when I started sharing my story, I mean, it's amazing. Not only have I had such strong connections, it's helped me heal from my past. And I now have this amazing job where I get to help people learn to be vulnerable and learn to be powerful and all from the, the strength that I gained. Yeah. So when people think vulnerability is is weakness. I think it's just a lack of education and a lack of understanding. And maybe no one has ever been vulnerable with them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, you know, I, I think that's such a powerful statement because I, you know, I made a, um, a video about, you know, suicide on my channel. And I, every time I, every single time I talk about suicide, I can't stop holding back the tears, but I, one of my yeah. biggest fears is actually crying in front of people. I hate it. I really mm. like, it doesn't feel comfortable with me. I have, pretty bad um uh you know um you know emotional engagement sometimes with uh you know people that i've loved in the past because of that um but you know it's but me doing that was kind of a hope for people you know if somebody you know i'm, I'm half samoan and so it's you know usually people see someone as like the rock or something like that we mm -hmm, think of somebody mm -hmm. that's very physically empowering and all that kind of stuff but you know to see us actually you know in in this light where we're you know we're crying and you know, we're, we're, we're struggling to get the words out, I think is very empowering. It was very empowering to myself because, you know, I got a lot of support from my family about it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it's, it, you know, it's just like you said, I was just talking to a friend about this is, you know, when you burn bridges, if you think about yourself as like an island and you're connected by bridges to other islands, well, you're just burning each one of your attachments off and you're not able to move away from that island anymore because you burnt all these bridges. So yeah, that's such a great answer. And I'm going to ask you one more thing before I go into my <laughs> usual, um, my usual final question is usually just your message to the people, you know, people in your situation, all that stuff. Uh, but before we get into that, you know, what have you learned from coaching people? Because 
you know, when I started teaching martial arts to people, I started realizing my techniques were getting crisper. I was able to, because I was actually, you know, using what I was, um, I was actually, you know, being, I was actually putting more work into understanding the basics of things because I had to be an example for these people. But yeah, what have you learned from coaching people throughout these years? I think on the, on one of my favorite things is that we are all so similar. We are all so similar. And you know, when you really get down to it, we have these core fears that we all share. And one of my favorite, favorite things is having a real conversation with somebody about their story and watching, you know, I I create this safe space where people can do that and they can, they can figure out what they want and they can gain confidence and and self-worth. And about halfway through our series together, they just there's this shift where it's, it's like, you can see the chains falling off. And, and I, and I, I mean, I've worked with some clients that in the beginning, I thought, whoa, this is going to be rough. I'm not sure we're going to get where we want to go. You know, I was helping one woman like gain the confidence to leave a, a really bad relationship. And halfway through, it's like, they start to understand that they are strong enough, you know, with the support, with support that they are good enough, they're strong enough and they're worthy. And they, there's this freedom, there's this fire, there's this light that comes over them. And I think from my experience and from working with all these different types of people is that there's always room, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how discouraged no matter how much struggle you're going through there's always room for growth and and to even when you think you know this is too much this is too hard there is freedom within within everybody i think there's that that ability to find it yeah that's such a great answer i really like the way that you had kind of mentioned them being you know like their chains are falling off because you know, when th- something's chained up, it doesn't grow, right? It's not able to grow, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I think that's such a, a powerful statement. It's it's pretty much like the, the main metaphor people use whenever they're talking about um, being enslaved or anything like that. So it's uh, that's definitely a powerful statement. So, Melissa, this is usually where I just ask people, you know, um, to give a message out to my audience, maybe people that have been go- that have gone through what you've gone through, maybe people that would benefit from uh, listening to you. I mean, what's your message out there to the, to the people out there in terms of hope, in terms of, you know, getting through mental illness in general? Yeah. Um, well, I know I've said this over and over, but find at least one person that you can be safe with. Um, and, you know, for me, I had to look outside of my community and my circle of friends and my family. I had to find a stranger on the internet, honestly. Um, but to have somebody that you can share the struggles with, you know, the things that are bottled up, the things that make you feel like you're so alone. And um, if you can just find one person that is a safe place to share, I think that is, that can be the beginning of something so powerful. And then I know just to share one thing, but just have so much compassion on yourself. Life is hard. <laughs> Life is hard. And, you know, if you live in the U.S., our society is not set up to support mental health. Um, and so have compassion on yourself and have, you know, if you can, just, I like to just, you know, look at myself in the mirror and say, like, you're doing such a good job. You are so amazing. You have survived so much. And um, yeah, I just, 
if you can have have compassion on yourself. Yeah, I think that's that's a great message, Melissa. I mean, I really appreciate you saying that because you know a lot of a lot of people in in our situations just dealing with mental health. We usually have compassion for a lot of other people, but we don't really have compassion for ourselves. But yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for for being on the mental health chats. I really appreciate you bringing your story. I always like to bring you know a, a, a different people around from different walks of life and you know we've had everything from you know a woman that was sent to a boarding school kind of like paris hilton was and you know obviously the, the woman who was married to, or the, to the wolf of wall street but you know hearing hearing your story also is one of those you know is up there with um you know the people that really talk about surviving things i think that's the biggest thing especially with you know from me coming from a place of suicidal thoughts and actually seeing these acts committed you know through my hallucinations um, that hope is really the only thing I really have to hold on to. And, um, you know, seeing people like you is really, um, inspiring both for me and I'm sure for the, the women uh, watching this as well, since I know some of my family members watch this, but I really appreciate you being on and, um, you know, hopefully I will be able to do this again sometime. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and let me share my story. Hey guys, thanks for watching Mental Health Casual. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe for more videos.